You are listening to Law and Gospel Open Mic Friday on this August the 20th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Baker. Well, one of the items that we do is we go to various places and talk to people about law and gospel. We don't do everything just over the radio. And we had gone to actually a parochial school classroom and had the students talk about law and gospel. Now, here's the letter that we received from the teacher. Thanks so much for what you did by coming here. What you did for the first and second graders is beyond description. They were awed that you would allow them to help you teach others about Jesus. In discussions ahead of your visit, they knew they had two goals. One was to tell about Jesus in whatever way you led them to do so. The other was to show moms, dads, grandparents, etc., the value of a Christ-centered education so more children like them will be able to learn about Jesus in school. They knew they had a job to do, and they were thrilled that you allowed them to help you. You made it fun, but you also fed them meat. One of the parents has told me, after the grandmother listened to the program, she had a lot of questions. The program provided a discussion that will continue as they share about Jesus. I'm so thankful that you took the time to be with the children. They have so few positive male role models in their home lives. It was wonderful for them just to be around you and see how Christian men respond to God. Thank you so much. God used you to provide for them in ways that I cannot. Now, that's a very important point at the end of that email, that God used me. It was God doing all the items in that classroom. It was God who was opening up the children's hearts. Now, it just so happens that they decided to do a song. They call it the Law and Gospel Song. It was written by their pastor, and it's sung to the tune of the common doxology. So here's what the children like to sing. I do not do the good I should. I do not do the good I would. I do not do it, oh no ma'am, for I a sinner that I am. I do not do the good I should. I do not do the good I would. I do not do it, oh no ma'am. Yet saint forgiven that I am. I thought that was a wonderful law and gospel point of view that the children love to sing. 
there, there are some hymns in the hymnal. In fact, there's two hymns, and they're side by side. The left side says what the law does, and the right side basically does what the gospel does. And oftentimes, when I use them, I use both of them. And you sing verse 1 of the left side, then verse 1 of the right side, verse 2 of the left, etc., etc. So I said this in a preaching sermon that the Word of God becomes very clear in worship because, first of all, you have tremendous hymns that give insights that you were unaware of. Second of all, the liturgy, which is many times quotations from the Bible, helps us to associate the true meaning of Christianity. Then, of course, there's the sermon and the sacraments. So that's really important. Well, sometimes there's a question about the sacrament. Pastor Baker, while listening about your teaching on baptism, that it is God's work, not man's work, a question came to me. Once during our Sunday morning service, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, our pastor inadvertently forgot to speak the words of institution before the distribution of the Lord's Supper. My question is, did we have Holy Communion that day? Thank you for your attention. Now, I want to be able to answer that question. Had there not been a kind of a little seminar at the seminary with students and actually professors who are asking that very question. Is it necessary that the words of institution be spoken in order to make sure that the Lord's Supper is a valid Lord's Supper? And it was actually one of my members at my congregation, Pastor Thomas Manteuffel, who gave the answer. And even though there was, oh, distinctions and differences between the various students, everybody came to the same conclusion. What was his answer? His answer was, it can't be necessary to say the words of institution because Jesus didn't. Now, you may want to understand what he was talking about. The words of institution are set at the altar uh, where we repeat what Jesus said. But what did Jesus do? He did not give a summary of what he was about to do. He actually gave the Lord's Supper. And when he gave the bread, he said, take heat, this is my body. When he gave the wine, take drink, this is my blood. That's what makes the Lord's Supper worthy and proper. I was unable to find out exactly if the pastor did that when he gave out the Lord's Supper. But when we go to shut-ins, we at times 
for example, if it's an emergency, you would take the little container that has the bread and wine in it, and the person is maybe near death, and they ask for it, and you just simply take it, take heat, this is my body, take drink, this is my blood. The, the words of institution, which occur before the distribution, are helpful in letting someone understand what we are talking about and what is the word that we want to talk about. But it's not necessary if you distribute it as Christ did. That's my answer to that. Okay, this one really is helpful for what I've been trying to do these past few weeks. I love the show and have started listening to at least two to three episodes a week. I enjoy your insight and often share in Sunday school I attend. Gave the name of the Sunday school, the church, and his pastors. So this is a Sunday school teacher. Now, what I find interesting is he enjoys my insights. And I just finished doing a sermon on that because the word insight is actually used in the Old Testament lesson, referring to the fact that to know what God's will is to know who God is, is an insight. And I, I made the point in a sermon last night that even if you have the Bible memorized, that doesn't mean you understand the Bible. What? How can that be? Take a look at some of the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day. They did have many parts of the Bible memorized, but they fell short of recognizing Jesus as the Savior. They would take a look at Moses' writing of the ceremonial laws and come up with a conclusion that that's how we are saved. Remember that one Pharisee Jesus spoke of? He thanked God he wasn't like that tax collector because what? I fast, I tithe. The ceremonial laws were considered salvific. And even the sacrifice of animals. But that's not what the Bible talks about. The ceremonial laws were put in place by God to point forward to the sacrifice that would come, as John the Baptist said. Behold, the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. When I do a sermon, I have two goals. The first is to say something in the sermon that people were unaware of. For example, and we spoke about this on Wednesday, Psalm 90 talks about wisdom building a house and giving bread and wine. I'm sorry, that was Proverbs 90. Proverbs 90 
it talks about that. What is that? And we were able to explain the insight that it was referring to the Lord's Supper because Jesus is the bread of life. And he's also wisdom. And it says, when you come to his table, that's the word used, you receive mixed wine. Well, it's wine, and in with and under it is the very blood of Jesus Christ. So insights are really critical. When I look at a Bible text, I keep reading it until I find an insight that maybe I wasn't aware of. Now, how do I do that? Well, yes, I'm a pastor. I've got degrees and this sort of thing. But there are some professors who are far better than I am in taking a look at the original languages, at the culture of the day, and putting things together. And so I do a lot of reading. And when I read an insight of a text that I have, then I really start looking forward to preaching on it because it is my opinion that the vast majority of Bible passages that talk about theology are misunderstood by the laity. And so we're going to be talking about one of those again on Sunday, and I may share that with you uh, the following week. But insights are not obvious. They're often hidden within the text. But they are found by using Scripture, interpret Scripture. For example, in Psalm, Proverbs 90, they talk about pillars in the temple. Well, what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about the characteristics of wisdom that were also found in Solomon's temple of the pillars that were there. People are not aware of that. And then in the sermon, we went through what the various pillars meant, such as information, knowledge, teaching, strength, power etc. So, just don't teach a Sunday school lesson by giving the historic account of it. Find the insight that God wants to people to be aware of in teaching that lesson. And in that way, one begins to help them understand the way that God thinks and that's the purpose of a sermon, is to help understand God's way of thinking. Next one, Pastor Baker. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for being a voice of true Christians. Now, this woman is pro-life, and that's what she's talking about. Thank you for speaking the truth not the politically correct response and not the words of Satan through misguided false Christianity. 
Thank you for encouraging all of us Christians, Lutherans, to speak up and be bold and courageous as well. We must speak for these little ones who do not have a voice here on earth. I pray for you as you speak the truths of the Bible with boldness and courage. I continue to grow stronger in God's word through your daily program. And that's what she has to say. Well, it's not much courage to speak God's word in the area of pro-life. We live here in the United States. We're in St. Louis. And our headquarters is in St. Louis. And I have to say, we have never been having a group of people protest us by marching up and down our area. So it's not courageous to speak God's word when you really don't have anything to fear. But it is still something that people need to hear. She's absolutely correct that there are false teachings in regard to the pro-life movement. And people think who are evolutionists that you're not really killing a human being. Boy. All righty. Let me uh, go to another email here. Are any of your books available in electronic format, such as PDF or other? Now, that's something we are working on. You actually can go to Amazon.com and type in Torellian Productions, T-O-R-E-L-I-O-N, and then Productions. And there will be a number of books that come up that you can order through Amazon.com and they will be in a PDF sent to your email address. So we're working on getting more of those books in there. And we're also working on making an announcement about law and gospel, hopefully starting this September, if not October. So let's just kind of wait for that and see what happens. Pastor Baker, another email. The Bible is the word of God. Then when Jesus says, follow me, we just follow because he spoke it. In the Bible, all the people that he says, follow me too, just get up and follow him. Do they not? Or take up your cross. It just happens because he said to do it. Now, I think that's an important understanding that the things that we often do are because Jesus has instructed us so to do them. But he has given us the Holy Spirit who permits us to follow him. What does that mean? Follow Jesus. Well, think about it. You have a decision to make. And it's not a decision as to 
what cereal to buy or what car to buy or what house to buy. But it's a decision that has theological implications. In other words, should I do this or should I not do this? A pastor can be involved when there are theological implications. But if you go to a pastor and say, okay, we've got two guys running for Senate, which one should I vote for? The, the pastor doesn't have any more insight as to who you should vote for than you have. That's a secular matter. And he may point out certain decisions that they have made and then help you to focus on what kind of decisions you want to continue to be made. But a lot of times when you have like two senators, there probably is something wrong with both of them in the sense that one may want to really increase the taxes on the middle class and the other one really wants to do something else that you don't like. So it's tough to make a decision. But unless the names of those people are in the Bible, it's difficult for a pastor to say, no, that's what you are to do. Hello, Pastor Tom. I would like to know the point of Job. My granddaughter loved the book of Job, and I asked her why and what she thought Job was about. She said it was because Job loses everything and has people constantly testing his faith and still keeps on pursuing life. She wants a commentary book on Job, and I am planning to send it to her. But my thinking of the importance of Job is that Job never blamed God or denied God for all his misfortune. I also am not sure how to explain the importance of Job in a nutshell for her to understand. Due to a lot of reasons too involved to go into right now, my granddaughter is not familiar with the Bible in the Bible stories like I thought she was. She is now doing a lot of studying and is in several study groups, including a Catholic one. But I want to make sure I get the nutshell answer correct before I give what I think the importance is. So can you give me a good layman's nutshell answer to the importance of Job? Well, yes, I can. I, I had a tremendous professor who taught the book of Job. His name was Horace Hummel, and I really enjoyed that class. What I came to understand is that Job's problem, yes, he did not deny God, but he couldn't figure out why God was doing what he was doing. He had three friends, and... Well, some of them said, obviously, you've done a terrible sin, and God is getting even with you for that sin. Well, that Job denied, and the entire Bible denies that. The essence of Job is really found 
in the last verses of the book of Job, where he says, I argued with God twice, now I keep still. And instead, now this is Job still in his sickness with everything lost. He says, I repent in dust and ashes. That's the essence of the book of Job, namely to show us that God is so different than us that we need to be aware of the fact that in him, we are found to be sinners in need of a savior. And God will spend a lot of time in giving us that good news as he did with Job. Until Job comes to the point that is really the essence of the Christian faith. That is repentance of sin and trust in the promises of God. And that's what the book of Job is really all about. And so God takes Job on a journey, but he takes every one of us on that journey. And so it's something to look forward to. Okay, Monday's Long Gospel, we'll be taking a look at one of the readings for the following Sunday. And what you're going to hear me talk about is an insight that I don't think is obvious to people who are reading that scripture. But when they hear that insight, they will then begin to understand God more fully Plus, they will have a comfort that they did not have prior to the insight. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. If you're able to, please support us. The information follows right now. Until Monday, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.